The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I'd like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominic Pepper, and I'm the host of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a really terrific conversation on shape sense in robotic bronchoscopy versus digital tomosynthesis-corrected electromagnetic navigation bronchoscopy. Uh, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Lowe as our guest. Uh, Dr. Lowe is the first author on this uh, paper. Uh, so, Dr. Lowe, can you please introduce yourself? Yes. Um, hi, everyone, and thank you, Dr. Pepper and CHESS team for having me here today. I am Siwei Lo, a newly minted interventional pulmonologist currently at Cleveland Clinic, Ohio, and I actually graduated from Interventional Pulmonary Fellowship at Vanderbilt. Uh, I really look forward to sharing our study today. Yeah, really exciting to uh, have you on the podcast with us. So maybe you could kick us off with the obvious question. Uh, why do we perform a navigation bronchoscopy? And uh, why is it starting to supersede CT-guided needle biopsy? Right. Uh, great questions, uh, which is, you know, exciting for pulmonologists like myself. Um, so as more and more CT chest is being performed, you know, either for lung cancer screening or some other reasons, uh, we are picking up more pulmonary lesions. And when they're indicated for sampling, um, for diagnosis, uh, we have these two methods. And I feel that, um, you know, either choosing navigation bronchoscopy or CT-guided needle biopsy is really dependent on the institutional preference and also availability. Um, so one center, for example, may be off, may be able to offer CT-guided needle biopsy for most type of lesions, no matter the location, uh, while some may not. And hence, you know, one may choose to refer the patients for navigational bronchoscopy. Are you able to comment on the uh, diagnostic yields and complications of each uh, type of procedure? Oh, yes. So traditionally, um, the diagnostic yield with CT-guided needle biopsy has been higher, um, approximately 85 to 90% or so, while navigation bronchoscopy is approximately 70%. However, um, the diagnostic yield with navigational bronchoscopy with all the more advanced technologies being added on, such as the digital tomosynthesis with the Illumicide platform. Now we have robotic assisted bronchoscopy, cone beam CTs and all of that has been bringing up the diagnostic yield um, to about 80%. So we are getting close to, you know, the diagnostic yield of the CT guided needle biopsy. And um, you are definitely right. Um, so while choosing one uh, method to biopsy compared to the other, you know, besides taking into account the diagnostic yield, we have to consider um, the complication rates. So 
both of these methods to biopsy has one common complication, which is pneumothorax. Um, so CT-guided biopsy has a better yield, but the rate of pneumothorax is also higher, approximately 15% or so with 5 to 10% uh, requiring chest tube and hospitalization. While navigation bronchoscopy has about 1 to 4% of uh, pneumothorax rate. Um, the other real difference between, you know, these two methods are also in terms of performing navigation bronchoscopy, uh, we can also biopsy more than one lesion if that is indicated during the same setting. Uh, and we can also stage the mediastinum when it's appropriate in one bronchoscopy procedure. Great, I think that's a really good um, overview. Uh, we need to be mindful of the diagnostic yield, the complications, and whether the patient's going to have a single procedure uh, right. with staging or not. Um, so let's jump into um, uh, two components of navigation bronchoscopy. As you mentioned, um, there's the electromagnetic navigation bronchoscopy platform, uh, which mm -hmm. you all used in your study uh, and added digital tomosynthesis. And right. then there's robotic-assisted bronchoscopy. So maybe you could just tell our audience the difference between those two technologies. Okay. Um, so electromagnetic navigation itself has been around for a long time, uh, which is approximately maybe 20 years ago when it was introduced. And then digital tomosynthesis was added to electromagnetic navigation in early 2018, while robotic-assisted bronchoscopy has been at least FDA-approved for about four years now. Um, and in our study, the electromagnetic navigation platform is, um, in, you know, has a digital tomosynthesis added to it. So this includes a way for us to compensate for CT-to-body divergence. Um, and why, you know, this CT to body divergence is so important uh, when we're all thinking and talking about navigation bronchoscopy. That is because we all use a preoperative CT scan of the chest to map the pathway to the lesion or lesions. Um, we try our best to register really well or plan really well, but we can't really fully account uh, for everything that happens during bronchoscopy, which is different. So digital tomosynthesis really shines um, in its role here. It's like acting, you know, like a poor man's cone beam CT for us, um, giving us the ability to recalibrate the system, um, to really change the target location to where it's supposed to be. Well, you know, so, ships, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, shape sensing technology. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, for shape sensing robotic bronchoscopy, it does not use a electromagnetic field. Um, it actually uses a pretty cool, you know, articulating, very flexible catheter with a shape sensing technology. Um, this provides us a live feedback and also a visualization throughout when we're driving the catheter. So, this allows us to really follow the airway distally towards the periphery of the lungs if that is where the lesion is um, to a pretty good accuracy. So the relationship between the target lesion and the distal airway is preserved um, no matter what the patient's lung volumes are during the case. And so in a way, um, I think that this also compensates a little bit for the CT to body divergence. 
Gotcha. So you all decided to compare electromagnetic uh, bronchoscopy technology, which has been around for about 20 years. You mm-hmm. added the digital thermosynthesis to that and mm-hmm. then decided to compare that to shape-sensing robotic bronchoscopy, which has been around for two years. Okay. Why did you all decide to compare those two different te- uh, technologies? So um, we have been using both technologies for quite some time. Um, when uh, the digital thermosynthesis electromagnetic navigation, which is Illumicide platform, um, was used, um, there was a paper published by Abu- uh, Matt Abudara, which is also one of our Vanderbilt uh, alumni. He showed that there was an absolute increase in diagnostic yield from just a regular uh, electromagnetic navigation when combined with digital thermosynthesis the yield went from 54% to 79%, which was the best yield that we've ever had. Um, so this has been the yield with uh, digital thermosynthesis uh, when combined with electromagnetic navigation has been pretty uh, consistent across most of the studies but that we have published about 80%. So now with all this, you know, new technologies, everyone's excited about robots. We're all using it. Um, so we thought that, you know, we should definitely have a comparison study, um, to see if the yields of these both, uh, very advanced technologies and platforms, do they have similar yields or different? Great. And then maybe you could comment on, um, you, had, you had mentioned that the digital thermosynthesis would correct for CT to body divergence. Um, mm-hmm. I would assume with the robotic platforms that there is no absolute uh, correction for uh, CT to body divergence, that, uh, and that's the reason why folks are using cone beam CT. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe you could comment on the fact that one of your technologies adjusts for CT to body divergence, whereas the other doesn't do an absolute correction. Yeah, so... Um the, so, current, so the first generation of shape sensing robotic bronchoscopy does not have a integrated, uh, you know, fl- fluoroscopy images for us to correct in near real time imaging. Um, so, uh, while we were doing this study, we were actually just using the regular CM that we have. Um, so that doesn't allow us to correct like with the near, near real time imaging. However, we think that this first generation shape sensing robotic bronchoscopy allows some sort of a correction to its CT to body divergence due to the ability of us seeing where exactly we are going through in terms of the airway uh, getting really close to the target lesion itself. Great. Okay. So let's uh, jump into um, your study aims. Um, What exactly did you decide to compare uh, across the two technologies? And then maybe tell us about your methods. Yeah. So what we really wanted to um, compare is the diagnostic yields of both of these platforms that is really the two most common platforms that are being used uh, currently. Um, so when we first started using digital thermosynthesis with electromagnetic navigation in the first six months at Vanderbilt, that was all all navigations were basically done with that technology. And so when we first switched to ship sensing robotic bronchoscopy during my fellowship, that was also the only thing that we used um, in the first six months. Um, unless patients were enrolled in our randomized control study, uh, uh, Veritas, which is comparing CT guided to Illumicide. But if not, then all patients undergo robotic bronchoscopy. 
So then we thought it would be a great idea to compare both technologies. And also we wanted to generate data to design a prospective randomized control trial. So as of today, really, this is the first uh, and only comparative study that we have to compare two new bronchoscopy platforms. And then maybe you could comment on the um, uh, the use of the technology. So um, obviously, uh, I think in your paper, uh, you stated that um, the combination of um, digital thermosynthesis-corrected uh, uh, electromagnetic uh, navigation bronchoscopy was a relatively new technology for your providers, but mm -hmm. you had used uh, electromagnetic navigation bronchoscopy for, uh, I think, a decade prior. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, for a longer time. Um, so the difference would be the integration of the digital thermosynthesis, which is also newer uh, in a way for us to all have experience in. So what we did was to take the initial six months of the newer uh, technology, which is the digital thermosynthesis added to electromagnetic navigation, and also the initial six months of experience with ship sensing robotic bronchoscopy. So this allows us to really have, you know, same similar initial experience. Um, no one has, you know, more experience in one uh, platform compared to the other. Gotcha. Um, and then um, maybe for our audience, you could define uh, what your definition of uh, diagnostic yield is. Uh, that seems to be an area of contention um, uh, in this field. Um, some people use a fairly conservative definition. Other people use a more liberal definition. What definition did you all use? Yeah, so um, our diagnostic yield uh, definition has been more conservative. So for us, um, it is uh, where we defined as any specific histological findings, which is readily able to explain the presence of any pulmonary lesions. So for example, if the patient has malignancy, if the patients have organizing pneumonia, any granulomatous inflammation or frank purulence, for example, that really pretty much explains the presence of the lesion. Um, then we'll take that as a you know positive um, diagnosis. Um, and if the clinical management depends, uh, is able to be based on these findings without the need for additional diagnostic interventions. So all of that would, uh, be fall, uh, will be taken as a positive diagnosis as well. Great. Okay. So I think we're almost ready to jump into the results. Before we get there, um, your group did a really good, um, uh, point of uh, pointing out any financial disclosures, and that's important whenever we interpret uh, these studies. Uh, what financial disclosures did you all report uh, for the study? Um, so Dr. Maldonado and uh, will have uh, some uh, research finding from um, Illumicite uh, platform because we do have the uh, Veritas study. But other than that, all authors have no um, significant financial disclosures. Perfect. So let's jump into your findings. So you'll compare these two technologies. What were your key findings and how did you interpret them? So our key finding, which was exciting, uh, was that the diagnostic yield of shape sensing robotic bronchoscopy was really similar to digital thermosynthesis with electromagnetic navigation. 
Um, so ship sensing robotic bronchoscopy was at 77% and digital tomosynthesis with electromagnetic navigation was at 80%. Um, so they were really similar and I thought that was pretty exciting because, you know, to think about a first generation ship sensing robotic bronchoscopy platform without integration, without the you know, near real time imaging integration. Um, and they really still produce a identical yield as the very mature digital thermosynthesis electromagnetic navigation platform. Uh, we thought that was pretty impressive. And, um, I think the other thing that was important to note is also the complication rate, uh, which is again pneumothorax, which is also again similar in both arms. Um, ship sensing robotic bronchoscopy at 1.5% and uh, digital thermosynthesis with electromagnetic navigation at 1.8%. So they are not statistically significantly different again. Yeah, that were, those are really impressive findings. As you said, the first generation um, robotic uh, platform uh, versus the mature electromagnetic uh, bronchoscopy platform producing results of 80%. Uh, and we, I think, as you said, slowly getting closer to uh, the CT-guided needle biopsy results. Right. Um, yep. But more impressive, the, the safety uh, the, that you noted. Um, can you comment on lesion size? Uh, because uh, sometimes these studies are interpreted without accounting for uh, nodule size. Uh, obviously, the size of the nodule uh, matters greatly. Um, what did you find? So the sizes of the nodules in both arms are pretty much uh, the same uh, when we adjusted for it. So they were not uh, significantly different as well because um, the uh, digital thermosynthesis electromagnetic navigation platform had a median size at about 19 millimeter as compared to the shape sensing robotic bronchoscopy at about 17 millimeter respectively. Um, so they were not significantly different. And then in terms of your findings, did anything surprise you um, when you looked at the results? Or did anything be like, oh my gosh, I didn't expect that? <laughs> no. Actually, um, so, you know, for uh, some factors were known um, to, you know, maybe that would affect um, our diagnostic yield, which we all adjusted for it with the multivariable analysis and um, nothing such as, you know, nodule size or presence of bronchocyne or the location of the lesion, all of that did not have um, any effect on the uh, diagnostic yield, which was pretty cool, I find. Um, but other than that, there was uh, really no other surprising findings. And then in terms of limitations, there's always limitations in our studies mm -hmm. that we perform. There are no perfect studies. What <laughs> limitations do you want the audience to be aware of uh, when interpreting uh, your study? So in our case, um, our limitation could also be our strength, actually. So traditionally, you know, being a single center study, this definitely would be viewed as a limitation as we, you know, we may not be able to generalize our results. Uh, but I think really being a single study, a single sense, single center study here is also a strength, uh, because everything is pretty much the same except for the different platforms. So the proceduralists or the bronchoscopies are the same. The pathologists who interprets the results are the same. The tools that we use to biopsy the lesions are essentially the same. Uh, disease prevalence, uh, uh, patient population, all of that is pretty much the same. So, 
we think that this may be the single best way to actually isolate the technical performance of these platforms. Great. Um, and your take-home message for our audience, uh, what do you want them to leave um, having heard this podcast um, and reading your paper? Um, so this is the first and only comparative study that we have at least in the past four to five years since the robotic-assisted bronchoscopy was first uh, FDA-approved. And now that we have the comparative data, uh, we should definitely have uh, a randomized controlled trial, ideally multi-center, to study if these technologies are uh, comparative to each other or if integration of the near-real-time imaging in the near future would make significantly more difference. Um, I'm thrilled because Vanderbilt actually has an upcoming pragmatic study uh, with a randomized trial called Reliant, uh, which has been IRB approved. So they will be comparing the shape sensing robotic assisted bronchoscopy with digital tomosynthesis electromagnetic navigation using Illumicide. Uh, that would be exciting. And so stay tuned. That is very exciting. Uh, we definitely need randomized trials that uh, adjust for confounding. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about uh, how many patients you'll plan to recruit and what the outcomes are going to be. So the outcomes are going to be um, similar, uh, which is the diagnostic yields. And also we'll look into the safety profile of um, the, um, uh, the two platforms. And um, I'm actually not too sure how many they're planning to enroll uh, because since I left uh, for uh, from Vanderbilt to Cleveland Clinic, uh, I have not been officially involved with that, but uh, I know they will be starting to enroll next month. Oh, that's exciting. We'll definitely look out for that. Um, yes. So, Dr. Lowe, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit more, and thanks for sharing your study. But let's jump into these areas of contention. So, um, firstly, um, diagnostic yield. Uh, mm -hmm. These technologies came about because we wanted to better uh, diagnose lung cancer. Mm -hmm. What we are finding is that uh, we're diagnosing, we're biopsying a lot of lung nodules, and a fair proportion of them are not cancer. Um, mm -hmm. they revealing underlying inflammatory conditions, infectious conditions that previously we would have just monitored. Um, mm -hmm. How would you suggest we go about getting a better definition of diagnostic yield, bearing in mind um, that uh, cancer seems to be the best way to increase your diagnostic yield, but if you go right. after lesions that are concerning, you may pick up uh, these inflammatory conditions where it's really difficult to tease out exactly what it is, um, mm -hmm. and you really need a good pathologist uh, to assist you. Right. Um, so actually, that is our next paper <laughs> that will be upcoming, uh, where we will be proposing, you know, the differences between diagnostic yield, which definition we should use, and uh, comparing diagnostic yield to diagnostic accuracy. But um, coming back to your question, so um, it is true that malignancy is really easy for us to diagnose, um, but um, other findings when clinically relevant, I feel, such as organizing pneumonia or, you know, really you're thinking that this may be granulomatous inflammation and you find granuloma, for example, um, that is a pretty specific benign path pattern that can explain, you know, really the presence of these lesions. And so in our case, usually we would um, call that as a positive diagnosis or when there is a specific benign path that felt to really explain a lesion and we're not too 
confident that it is or it's not, usually we would go back to our pathologist and discuss with them and see what they think if this really fits the whole clinical picture as well. So that is really what um, we do in our cases of, you know, defining diagnostic yield. Um, but when things are not specific at all, like nothing was just, um, you know, it's just inflammation, but not truly purulence or neutrophilic or, you know, presence of granuloma or presence of atypia, we count that as a miss. And so that is non-diagnostic. Gotcha. And then maybe you could comment on CT to body divergence. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the digital tomosynthesis allowed you to adjust uh, the, for the CT to body divergence. There are other technologies available. I think you alluded to them, um, either the cone beam CT and then the, 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 this, this 3D uh, fluoroscopy as well. Um, mm -hmm. How do you think that will impact um, other technologies like uh, robotic-assisted bronchoscopy in improving their diagnostic yield? So far, there has been um, very little data that we have just solely, you know, studying uh, robotic-assisted bronchoscopy combining with um, the newer near-real-time imaging. Uh, but personally, I think it would allow us to increase the diagnostic yield a little bit more, uh, potentially, you know, really, really close to what the CT-guided needle would have, uh, close to 90%. Um, but uh, all of that would require real data to uh, be produced by, you know, any teams that has it. Agree. Uh, we definitely need uh, more data, better data, and uh, as you have alluded to, uh, randomized trials that compare mm -hmm. uh, these different technologies. Maybe you could comment on that. Uh, the, I've heard some say, uh, "Why would we? Why would the industry? Um, uh, why would industry compare these different technologies? Uh, because uh, if their technology ends up being inferior to another technology." Um, they end up losing a lot of capital, and, and that obviously is the mindset in, the, in industry. That obviously right. is very different from what we have in uh, either an academic or clinical practice. Uh, maybe you could comment on that for us. Yeah, great question. So um, it is difficult, I feel, uh, to, you know, talk to industries and tell them like, hey, I have this thought, you know, let's do this study. Um, I think it depends. Uh, you know, uh, this is just my personal opinion where it depends on how strong they may feel their technologies are. Um, because, um, if, you know, we have faith, then we would take a leap and do it. Right. Um, but if not, uh, still, you know, for patient care and, um, improvement with everything that we're doing, uh, we need to have uh, more substantial, um, data to really support what we do. Because if not, the technologies are really expensive. And if it doesn't make any difference to what we can provide patients with, with a um, much cheaper technology, then perhaps not everyone needed to, you know, go to their higher ups and um, ask for more money or capital. Agree. And then finally, maybe you could comment on the learning curve um, for these uh, two technologies. Um, and uh, there is a substantial learning curve uh, for both uh, for those who haven't used them before. What were mm -hmm. the biggest challenges that you faced? So um, I think um, it for digital 
thermosynthesis with the electromagnetic uh, navigation, it's a little bit more preparation in terms of uh, where the bed is, where the electromagnetic um, navigation platform, where the box would have to be uh, for the patients. Um, the leads would have to be quite perfectly placed on the patients. Um, and when you're registering, um, you're essentially just, you know, uh, without, it's all done without, without visualization. So that is, um, the main thing to kind of get used to it, um, when we are, uh, preparing for these cases. While shift sensing robotic assisted bronchoscopy has a different set of preparation, um, it's mostly just fixing the disposable or reusable part of the robots, um, but it's not so much prep in terms of, you know, where your patients should lay in terms of the board and all that. Um, but all of, both of these technologies, I feel with time and experience, uh, we can get used to them and be good at them. Great. And then how many cases do you think you needed to have done for each of these technologies to feel, you know what, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get this uh, 15 millimeter lung nodule? <laughs> uh, I think this is tricky uh, because all of us have a different learning curve. Uh, so some of us may be faster uh, than some others. Um, and I think it also depends on how much experience we have had, uh, you know, with any navigational platform or bronchoscopy, for example. Uh, personally, I think that 50 for each platforms will be pretty okay. Great. And it's 50-5-0 or 15-1-5? Oh, 50-5-0. Perfect. Great. Well, um, Dr. Lo, you've been really you know, generous with your time, and uh, we've learned a great deal. Um, congratulations on being a newly minted uh, interventional pulmonologist, and uh, we're looking forward to all the exciting work that you'll be doing. Do you want to leave our audience with any final concluding remarks? Um, no, thank you so much for your time as well. And um, I hope everyone that listens to this podcast would enjoy our uh, paper. And if there is any questions, we're always available to answer them. But stay tuned for the Veritas and Reliant uh, results. Perfect. And uh, for our audience, uh, we definitely encourage you to go read the CHEST uh, article entitled Shape Sensing Robotic Assisted Bronchoscopy versus Digital Thermosynthesis Corrected Electromagnetic Navigation Bronchoscopy. This was a comparative cohort study of diagnostic performance. So a very big thank you to Dr. Lowe uh, for a really uh, interesting conversation. And a big thank you to our CHEST community for joining us. I'm Dominic Pepper, and this is a CHEST Podcast.